Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today's Wednesday, February 14th. I'm Stephen Overly. Bim Afalami is the UK's Economic Secretary to the Treasury, and he's making a swing through the US and Canada this week a charm offensive meant to pitch his home country as a major hub for fintech and crypto. Afalami, who's 37 years old, was appointed to his role in a recent cabinet reshuffle just a few months ago, taking the reins as the UK prepares to roll out crypto legislation in the coming months. I sat down with him at the residence of the deputy British ambassador, ahead of a bunch of meetings he had planned with senior officials at the Treasury Department and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. That's the CFTC. Afalami told me he doesn't expect the UK and US will see eye-to-eye on crypto regulation. And that's okay. In fact, he believes regulation is how countries will compete to be the world's crypto capital. Here's our conversation. Welcome to Politico Tech. Thank you for joining us. This is your first visit to the U.S., right, since taking on your role as the economic secretary. What's the aim of this trip? Good question, because often people wonder, you know, why is it that politicians go on these trips? What do they do? And in my instance here in the U.S., I'd say it's threefold. First of all, it is to bang the drum for the UK. It's to show people and showcase all that we're doing. That's why I'm doing this interview with you, to explain the positive policy decisions we're making around crypto, around tech, around our banking industry, around our capital markets, etc. The second is really to learn. Now, as a politician, politicians as a breed, we tend to like being on transmit rather than receive, right? right? I really want to be on receive on this trip. And so I want to learn. I'm meeting, for example, the CFTC chair. I'm meeting people, senior people at the US Treasury, undersecretary, etc. Listen as to their ideas about how to improve financial markets, regulation of crypto, tech, and to debate or discuss where we have differences. Actually listen and understand how other people see things. So that's the, that's the second reason. And I suppose the third reason is to see if I can get some new ideas about how our investors or potential investors see the UK and any changes they want us to make, any perception problems they may have to understand and deepen those partnerships and relationships in financial terms that will help improve the UK's financial ecosystem and tech ecosystem. You'll be talking about crypto regulation in your conversations with counterparts this week. What are you looking to get out of those meetings? What we're doing is when we're seeing all of the financial regulators here, what we are trying to understand is how are they choosing to look at these global challenges for regulation? So if you take crypto, which you asked about, there is a very lively debate going on about crypto in terms of how it is treated. Is it a currency? Is it a commodity? What is the nature of that in legal terms? I speak as somebody, and I should have said at the beginning, you know, I was a corporate lawyer first in my career. So when I left university, I I worked at Freshfields, which is a British law firm. Then I worked at Simpson, Thatcher and Bartlett, which is obviously a very well-known New York law firm. And then I went into banking and restructuring uh, and strategy at HSBC, not as a corporate lawyer. So these legal questions are actually really important for regulation. But also, how do we do this in a way that promotes innovation and growth? 
the American economy is very different to the British economy. But right. in the British economy, you know, we have seen some challenges on our economic growth. You know, our economic growth rate is not what we'd like it to be. It's not where it was a generation ago. And one of my jobs as a minister in the Treasury is to change that and improve that and think about how regulation can have a positive impact on innovation and growth. And so I'm, I'm trying to look at those two questions. In terms of those questions, I mean, where does the UK's rollout of crypto regulation stand yeah. right now? I understand that there are plans to sort of roll that out in phases. What does that look like at the moment? What that looks like at the moment is by midway through this year, we would have passed our regulation around stablecoin. So that is something that we're a deadline that we're driving to. And so that that's going to be our first sort of a major step in that regard. And at the moment, I'm talking a lot with the industry. I'm actually meeting some businesses out here, but also back home in London about what are the further steps that we can take this year. You know, I don't want to wait. I don't want at the end of this year, at the end of the parliament for people to say they only did stablecoin. And I want us to see what are the best, most deliverable things in addition to that, that we can land this year. Do you have a sense of what those might be? I don't want to speculate too much because there's a bit of a debate within the sector as to what the priority should be. But what I will do is I will lay out at the time that we are publishing and, and, and finally implementing the stablecoin regulation, I will be, I want to be able to lay out a bit of a, a framework and a time frame for, for the more broader set of regulations that we need. Some of which I hope to take place this year, but others will take place hopefully, you know, next year and the year after that. But I think giving people a sense of what's coming is often really important for industry to say, look, I can't do this today because they're constraints around parliamentary time or, or elections or whatever it is, but this is where we, we, we want to be. I know you said in your meetings here in Washington, you have a lot of questions for our regulators about how they're approaching some of these same topics and questions. Yeah. Do you have a sense of how much alignment there is between the US and the UK when it comes to crypto regulations, for instance? And is there even a need for regulators to be on the same page? It's a very good question. The truth is that the nature of crypto assets and the regulation of it, I think may well differ quite a lot between the US and the UK. There's obviously been a very lively debate between, for example, the SEC and how they've looked at certain things and how the CFTC has looked at certain things. And that lively debate plays out in American media. In our system, it's a bit simpler in terms of our, our regulatory bodies. Uh, and it, for us, it's the Financial Conduct Authority who really implements a lot of these. But the role of Parliament and me as minister can be more directive in this regard. And so I think that what we're really trying to do is to see, look, Yes, this is how the Americans have looked at it, but we are not going to necessarily follow their interpretation. What's important for us is to see how they are interpreting it and making sure that we have a robust understanding if we're going to be different. Because what you don't want is unnecessary distinctions for, for distinction's sake. Right. Uh, what we want in the UK is for us to be a place where crypto firms will come, where crypto firms will invest, but more importantly than all of that, where talented people who work in this sector, whether they be developers, whether they be policy people, whether they be lawyers, they know that London and the UK is a great place for them to be because the technology that underpins crypto assets, particularly you know, blockchain technology, DLT technology, that we don't even know the positive impacts that's going to have over the next five, 10 years across a whole range of different areas. And I want those people, I want that talent 
to come to the UK. But I, I, I want to stress, I do need to understand very carefully how the Americans choose to regulate it, because, of course, that has an impact on the world. Well, and as, I was going to say, as part of achieving a regulatory environment that is appealing to business, having it be globally compatible, particularly compatible with the U.S., given its financial markets and its, the size of its economy. Good question. And it's frankly one you could ask about a whole range of different financial products. Okay. Sure. Uh, and the truth is, at the moment, if you look at what you would describe as the traditional financial system, there's a huge amount of divergence between how the EU looks at things, the UK, the US. In regulatory terms, in the US, different states often have different regulations. I think if you're talking about crypto and you're saying, you know, the benefit is that it can be sort of global, that's true, but it shouldn't necessarily be any one country that decides on any aspect of crypto regulation what that should be for everybody in the world. It should be for, in my case, in Britain's case, how do we make sure we have the best, most robust, most legally sound, most uh, pro-innovation, pro-growth, but at the same time safe regulation for particular aspects of crypto? And then the world should end up following that regulation, not because Britain has said it, but because it's better than other people's. And if we get it right, and look, the, the same applies to the United States. If the United States has a better way of regulating something, then guess what's going to happen? People are going to follow that and everybody's going to be forced to, to align with it. So I think this is really a race for the best type of regulation. The sort of salesman part of your job of, of selling the UK uh, certainly comes across when you talk to these companies and, and make this sales pitch of the UK as a crypto fintech hub. What do you hear from them in return about how your regulatory environment could be better? They are very positive about the regulatory environment. And in fact, frankly, often surprisingly so, because in financial services, trust me, I have all sorts of conversations where people say, oh, look, you know, the regulator's got to fix this, or they're not doing that. But the thing that they do criticize is they say, you've got to move faster. I, you know, I hold my hands up. They often say, look, Bim, this is all great. You're saying all the right things, but it's not happened yet. Britain's going to fall behind unless you get a move on. And I take that criticism and I'm doing absolutely everything I can within my system and my parliament to drive that faster because that is a, there's no point having the best ideas if it comes three years late. So uh, I am very committed to driving the pace of getting good, smart regulation on this area done and implemented as soon as possible. With attracting all of this private investment, is there a risk of you know the UK being sort of a wild west of, of crypto? And, and how do you prevent that? there would be a risk if we weren't intending to regulate it, right? There was a school of thought, which isn't very common now, but if you go a couple of years ago, I'm sure you remember when people will say, well, look, there's no need to regulate this stuff. If people right. want to do this thing called crypto, they can do it. And what's what's that got to do with me? Right? Right. Yeah. I don't think that's the right answer because the crypto firms themselves want regulation. And I'd tell you if they didn't, they really want it. They're always saying, when are you going to get the regulation done? We want it done quickly. And when the people who've put in the investment, the people who've got the talent, the people who've got the skills, when they want the regulation, what that says to me is you've got, in most part, uh, and nothing is perfect. Of course, there are people in crypto who are sort of not good actors. But in the most part, you've got decent people who want their business to grow in a safe, proportionate way, which protects against uh, customer harms and indeed against investor harms. And they just want to get on with it. And I think that there's no risk of the Wild West because we're going to regulate it sensibly. Do you think the um, collapse of FTX changed a lot of people's attitudes around that and sort of created this sense that 
some regulation, some stability is, is actually a good thing if we want this industry to really take off? I think it probably did, but maybe less than change people's views. The people who are skeptics on crypto became even more skeptics on crypto. And the people that were pro it sort of thought, well, they were a bad actor and we need regulation. I mean, I know that. I mean, I think that's sort of sad, but true. I think that what it did do, though, is it showed people that crypto is a key integral, legitimate part of the financial system that can't just be left outside with no impact on anything else. And I think it's shown people that even if people wanted it to go away because they didn't understand it, they know they have to understand it because this is crypto's here to stay. And from Britain's perspective, I want it to stay in Britain. And I want that positive energy and talent to come to Britain because I think the benefits from the technology alone I think could be transformative. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. I mean, in that vein, with um, in terms of opportunity, I've, I've seen comments you've made in the past about wanting to That's make... always a difficult situation for a politician, <laughs> but yeah. Um, they, these, were, these were recent, um, and they were fairly innocuous, but I think okay, important, okay, uh, which is, you know, making markets more accessible to ordinary yes. people. Um, and that being one of your goals in this role yes. that's relatively new to you. How does that apply in the context of crypto, digital currency, some of these emerging parts of financial markets, how do you make those accessible and equitable from the start? To be honest, I think that one of the reasons why crypto has grown and developed so quickly, I can speak for Britain rather than the US in this case, is because they've been very attractive to younger people. And younger people, they want to have a go. They want to make a bet. They want to see what happens. And I think for the traditional financial system, we need to take some lessons from that, not poo-poo it. We need to say, what are they doing right? Why is it that they feel so much more comfortable investing in the crypto asset than they do a share on the London Stock Exchange? Maybe we should talk to them and say, what are they doing? And let's see if we can learn from them, not say, oh, well, that's crypto. We're not going to learn. That, that's different. No, I, young people don't see the distinction they see potentials for ownership. Because one of the, my big political goals, not just in this job, but in my political life more broadly, is to broaden ownership for younger people in our economies. If you do not have a stake in your economy, why would you support it? And I do see a real generational problem with younger people in this country, in Britain, who don't feel that they own a stake in their own economies. They don't own a home. They don't have shares. They don't have assets. And then they keep being told that the capitalist system is a wonderful one. I don't think a lot of people feel that. And I think that crypto is playing a positive role in helping to educate and, and helping younger people understand what ownership can do and how it can build wealth for the longer term. And I think that the traditional financial system needs to learn from that and say, how do we encourage and entice younger people who a generation ago were buying shares in the London Stock Exchange, for example, how do we encourage them to do so again? 
I can just tell from our conversation how much of a, a sort of optimist uh, you are about. Not well, just- I, am in, I am in the optimism business, which is politics, I, ch- I assure you. <laughs> well, then I guess I'm going to challenge the business, which is there's got to be worries that keep you up about how this market evolves and whether the UK kind of achieves these ambitions that you're talking about today. What, what would, is the biggest worry on your mind? My worry is that, well, let me phrase it this way. When you talk big, you've got to deliver big because you can only talk big for a period of time before people start to not believe you anymore. So I know that we are capable of delivering on all of these things, but we've got to make sure that we follow that belief and that ambition through. You know, if you, if you take the Big Bang, which Nigel Lawson, who was a very famous chancellor of the Exchequer Finance Minister in the UK in the 1980s, the Big Bang was a set of financial regulatory reforms that really transformed the city of London and made it really to some degree what it is today. When he did that, large swathes of the sort of old establishment in the city didn't want him to do it. They thought everything was fine and it wasn't fine. And through those regulatory changes, we created huge value and economic growth for the UK. It's important that we don't allow vested interests to hold back positive changes now. And so my worry, to the extent that it exists, is to make sure that we aren't held back. If we had you back on the podcast in six months time. I hope you do. <laughs> uh, it depends was, how this podcast right, goes and how many, how, people, goes, how many right. people are still listening right. by this depends stage. How, uh, depends on the edit. Yeah, fair say. enough. If I were to have you back in six months time and you were to accept, what would we be talking about? What's next from you and from your office? We would probably be talking about how I had done in the last six months on the things that I talked about here. That's point one. We'd probably be talking about what what was left for me to do before the end of the year because the election's coming at the end of the year and yeah. and 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 how that was playing through in in my work uh, and we'd also probably be talking about what was happening around certain privatizations in the UK that the government wants to do um you know s- selling shares in NatWest that we hope in a few months time at some point um, depending on all sorts of other market considerations will will come and you we'll probably be talking about that either it having happened or it soon to happen so yeah well, thank you for joining us this time on no Politico Tech. No problem at all. Thank you. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overley. I'll see you back here on Monday.